Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. We appreciate you all being here. We appreciate you supporting us so I can keep doing this thing. It's very nice. We love talking to the people we talk to. We love taking suggestions for you have uh, for guests or, for that matter, for sponsors to help support the program. That's at contact at drdrew.com. And we try to be very careful with whom we bring in here to help support us so this becomes a thing that we can sustain as long as possible. And uh, do check out the streaming shows, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 3 o'clock Pacific time. And, uh, of course, After Dark is a place where... Uh, I think this podcast audience would like hanging out, or maybe you guys already do. That's all at drdrew.com. But this is a different, a little bit different kind of podcast where I get to talk in depth with people like my present guest, Frankie Grande. We have met each other years ago on yep. Loveline, and uh, Frankie hasn't changed a bit, except he's been on fire with all the stuff he's been doing. I mean, you were just like, I think you were just getting going when I first met you, right? I think that it was right after Big Brother. So, yeah, I think it was right away. We went on and we talked about all of the insanity that happened inside of that house, like love relationships, you know. The, it was, yeah, on Love Line. So it's been about eight years, I think. Wow. I think it was longer than that because I've not been doing Love Line for like six years. So, so it, <laughs> I think it was a long time ago. And by the way, we all lost like three years because of COVID. You got to add like three to everything, every assessment you make. It's like, oh, yeah, it's plus four or plus three. Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. Probably, That's what I always think too. Ago. Let's see. When oh yeah, you're Brother. right. I'm going to see when Big Brother was. That's going to be really interesting to see when that. 2014. Was. So that's nine years. So it's almost ten years. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So that's about yeah, right. I, I also can't do math, so thank God you're not going <laughs> to ask me any math questions promise. because I would just fail. <laughs> I promise. Or unless I want to embarrass you, then I'll bring it up. But uh, <laughs> okay. you're you've been doing a lot since those. And by the way, as it pertains to Big Brother. Um, I got recently interviewed by, I think it was an Australian group who's doing a documentary on Big Brother One, which I was. Wow. Yeah, I was I was a commentator on that show before they really understood what it was or how to do it. It was sort of a this weird free form they were in trying to figure out how to do it at the time. And uh, they were following up with all the people that were on the show then. And back in those days, I don't think people really understood what reality was or what it did, right. what it potentially did to your life or what it could or couldn't do for you. How's your group doing, the, the group that you were in the house with? You know, I keep in touch with Derek um, and Cody, really, um, mostly out of everyone, and they're doing very, very well. You know, it's interestingly because I've recently been best friends with somebody who was just on Drag Race, and it's just so interesting to see, like, how – it's kind of like when you're off the show, it's kind of like hands away. Like we don't, we don't really feel like we need to follow up with you very much anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, with big brother, I was really grateful that I got to have an after show experience, like an after party, a wrap up where I got to talk to all the producers. They were all so wonderful to me. I exchanged some cell phone numbers with some people. And so I do keep some of them in my life, but I, I think it is so weird today still how it is kind of a machine that just kind of chews you up and spits you out and lets you go out into the world with very little care for what happens to you. Like I became a raging drug addict and alcoholic after big brother. And, you know, there was, I wish someone had warned me. I wish someone had said like, when, as you are going to leave this house and go out into the real world, you're going to see some nasty shit about you because that's just the nature of reality television and when you do, here are some tools that you can use that are not drugs and alcohol. I had nothing when I left that house. And I'm, I see how they do that to other people on other reality TV shows. And I feel like we need to change that somehow. Like, I really feel like we need to, like, give people, like, a, a, a debris, like, a full decontamination 
back yeah. introduction into society, especially after a show like Big Brother, where I was gone for four months. Oh my god, in the world, there was four a months. four month thing. Yes, with no contact, oh, no. no contact with the outside world. So no wonder I lost my mind. Wow, I didn't think about it. I always thought it was like six weeks. I don't remember it being that long. But but that is a really important and interesting thing you're bringing up. I, I ever since my Big Brother One experience, because I saw these people, many of them like divorce their wives or their husbands, yeah. moved to Los Angeles. I'm going to be a star now. And by the way, mm-hmm. that was pre-social media, so they only saw you know what all the yes people around them were telling them about how wonderful they were. And then once the show was over, they were just spit out and yep. they thought they were somebody, and they kind of were for a second, and then they weren't. And no one knew how to, again, help them understand that, you know, calm down, relax. This is a, you're in, actually, there should be a pre-show, a pre-screen, you know, sort of procedure that, you know, sort of helps people understand what's going to happen, what it really is. Don't get swept into it. Yeah, put it in perspective. Yeah. And then on the other side now is the social media part. And it's interesting. I saw that happen to the Teen Mom 2 women. So Mm. Teen Mom 1 was pre-social media. Teen Mom 2, social media was engaged. And they were destroyed by it because no one knew what it – they just had all this shit coming at them and didn't understand how to filter it, didn't understand what it was. And so talk to me about your your story. I mean, what 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 happened to you? And then, I, I by the way, uh, let's you and I do a show called After Reality. Let's just go yes. interview all the people that have been through this, at least to point out what happens to people afterwards, you know, after or after brother or after something, something after. Yes. Because it's still going on. So what happened to you? Yeah, I would love to do that because I do have a lot to say. And I, and I always I get DMs from people that are on current seasons of Big Brother. And also people that want to be on Big Brother. And I, I caution both of them equally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, listen, are you, are you sure you want to do this? Because yeah. it does have the potential to ruin your life. And then afterwards, I'm like, yo, this is how we have to respond to hate. This is how we yeah. have to respond to negativity. So, um, yeah, my, my I, I got, I'm so grateful that I learned a lot. But basically what happened was, you know, my story is also very different, different because we, while I was on the show, my sister was also having a, a meteoric rise into a level of fame and stratosphere that very few people on this earth have ever achieved in their existence. And it was all, yes, my sister. I I was in the desert with this uh, on a reality show. And by the way, this reality show, this thing called Special Forces we did for Fox, they did a whole bunch of psychological debriefing. Like they still call us to make sure we're That's great. Yeah, I know. It's really good. That's amazing. British production companies. So they have kind of different views on things. They take way higher risk, put you under way more stress, but they sort of plan for it. Bottom line is I got actually Jamie Lynn Spears became a good friend and she actually saved my life out there in the desert. And wow. I saw all the same stuff she was contending with. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. And so basically on my story, like I, I went into that house, you know, with 500,000 followers left with over, you know, close to 2 million. And then I didn't realize what um, the, the kind of fan. I was always a fan of Big Brother, but I was never a troll of Big Brother. Yeah. So I didn't understand that there is this subculture of people on Big Brother that that just want to fight, antagonize, take down, attack, rip apart human beings that are yep. on the show. Yep. And so I, so you know, I would say like out of those 
um, 9.56 million people that watched each episode of Big Brother, 30% of those people hated me. But 30% of 9.56 million, again, not going to do math for you, it's very large. And so yeah. you see that in front of your eyes, you know, like it doesn't matter 70% of the people that I was on that show love me. All you recognize as a human being are the things that hurt you so that you can remember to avoid them in the future. We're genetically wired that way. And I saw that and it was like, that's all I could remember and think about. I was like, oh my God, everyone hates me. So, um, so which is not true. Hang on. Someone taught you that. That's a really important thing for people to know. That yeah. We, we are designed to see the leopard in the tree and avoid it when a bad thing mm-hmm. has much higher, much greater saliency for our survival. So we naturally look at negative and sort of miss the positive. Yes, exactly. Logical overlay to that too. But yes, a very important point. And it can yeah. hurt you. It hurts. Yes. And it did hurt me. And I didn't have the tools to deal with it. And so, you know, I I knew that I had a problem with drugs and alcohol before going on to Big Brother so much so that I was sober for my entire duration of the show because I knew when I drank and used, I got a little crazy and got a little out of control. So while I wasn't in the camp that I am now, which is that I'm sober, I will stay sober for the rest of my life. And I will, you know, there's no, I will never pick up ever again. Like that's, that's the mentality I was, I'm in now. Then I was like, I know when I do drink and use, I get a little crazy and don't want to be on national television. Well, that version of me is on TV. So I'll just stop. Um, But then coming off the show, um, you know, the disease of alcoholism is super tricky and it just needs a tiny little thing for it to go crazy. And it it was fed it. My, you know, my time on Big Brother fed it. My fame fed it. My uh, reading of the comments fed it. And then it just got to a point where it was like completely um, a monstrous out of control uh, version of myself in terms of my using and, and uh, drinking. Yikes. And are you open to talking about uh, what you've done to recover? Yes, I am. Yeah. So, um, let's see what, what month are we now? We're in April, May, June. So two, I'm two months away from six years clean. Oh my God. Um, clean and sober. Thank wow. you so much. Big deal. Big deal. Huge yeah. deal. Um, yeah. and you know, I, uh, you know, it, it took a big, it took something very, very large for me to say, um, I need help. You know, it was a moment when my family was in desperate need of help and I just was not able to be there to support them um, because I was so far gone with drinking and using. And Mm. in that moment, you know, I had a wake up moment of clarity where I looked at their faces. I saw their disappointment. My mother was just like, who is this person that is standing before me? Mm -hmm. And I said to my sister, you know, I need help. And then she got me into treatment and then I went to treatment for 45 days and that's where I learned everything. That's where I got all the tools that I didn't know that I needed. You know, we did like cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, they took me to meetings every day. I got myself a sponsor. I worked the 12 steps and mm-hmm. um, I've been sober ever since because that's the person I want to be and I'm happier this way. You know, I obviously I've treated this, you know, for years and years and I know exactly yeah, what I know. the thing is. And but I've seen it, you know, intimately. My own daughter now has got 18 months sobriety, hasn't missed a meeting in a day ever. Uh, yeah. And watching it, you know, and it was great because I could be a great resource because I understand really what this is. And um it's just such a miracle, man. It is such a wonderful thing when you get to see it. And it's and you know, the thing that um that I warned her about, but now I have a more vivid experience of watching her is that this takes time. 
Uh, and, and you look back in that first year and you go, Oh boy, (laughs) I I thought I was great. I was not, you know, I thought I was done at three months, you know, flight to flight to health. Uh, and then even at two years, you look back and go, wow, I've I've really blossomed even more in this, in this, we call sobriety. And so people got to be prepared. That's why I'm I'm so, um, averse to this idea of two weeks or 28 days or whatever it is. Well, that's very helpful and gets you sort of underway, it's barely underway, right? No, I, I agree. Yeah. You know, the whole thing with, you know, your brain needing to make the glutamate in order for you to learn, which takes 90 days anyway. Yeah, so like sure. basically for the first 90 days, you're just, you got wet brain. You're not even listening to what is being said in those rooms. So yeah, yeah definitely. I would suggest people get to a year before you make any sort of decision about what you'd like to do with your life. That's what that, I think. That is a, that is a great, uh, sort of thing to say. Uh, and, uh, I would argue that, you know, there's some programs out there. Be careful, people. There are programs out there that, you know, launch into heavy psychotherapy and trauma mm-hmm. treatments and all this stuff. How much do you even remember from that first month? Let alone, and by the way, anything that's evocative makes you want to drink. It doesn't really do anything else. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You got to do it slow. It's slow, slow. variety. Slow that's variety. My friend. Slow variety. That's why and, I know uh, you. Yep. There, there are things that people <laughs> say in sobriety that I know they're in great shape. That's one of them. Yeah, <laughs> that is one of them. And you know what? I don't think it's a coincidence that you think I look younger than when you were last saw me because the last time you saw me, I was probably coming from an all nighter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I looked crazy in uh, when I was drinking and using. So yeah, I look a lot younger now than I did then, to be honest. <laughs> If you've ever struggled with weight or body image, you've been killing yourself with endless cardio or yo-yo starvation. If you've seen results, but they don't last, here is uh, some interesting information on how protein may be an answer for you. You probably know how protein is important, but do you know why? Do you know what's going on that requires you to eat protein? And did you know why protein is crucial for fat loss and keeping a lean body? It all comes down to the very important components of protein. It's what you would call the active component or the building blocks. And this active component, which you're probably familiar with, is amino acids. The importance of amino acids is obviously can't be overstated, especially for people who might be struggling with weight loss and wanting to keep adequate uh, body composition, really keep your, your protein intake up. Amino acids are the building blocks of protein and muscle. If you're asking what muscle has to do with losing weight, well, it's everything. First, muscle uses up more energy than fat, so simply having more muscle significantly increases your potential for burning fat. Not only that, but the process of building muscle can also burn fat. And a quick side note, if you're at all worried about muscle making you look bulky, that is a whole other discussion. But look, bodybuilders eat hundreds of grams of protein, thousands of grams of protein a day, spend hours at the gym, take medication (laughs) to achieve their look. I've been around gym a long time. Uh, I've never seen anybody be unpleasantly bulked up by just doing adequate protein and amino acid intake and working out properly. Not only do amino acids help build lean tone physique, they are required for energy production. So having a significant amount means that you have more energy to live an active life. So what exactly are amino acids? They make up over half your body's mass. They form the proteins that make up all of your organs and muscle and some of your neurotransmitters. And one important note is that proteins are constantly breaking down and being replenished. If your body has enough amino acids, everything runs smoothly and you don't have to worry about the breakdown. But not the case for many people. 
Not all protein sources have all the amino acids you need. Some of them are harder to get than others. Some amino acids your body can make itself. Some it can't. So it's not just about eating protein. It's about eating essential amino acids, enough protein, and the ones your bodies can't make, the essential amino acids. And that's where it gets difficult. If you're not consuming enough essential amino acids, your body will break down the muscle to supply the missing amino acids to your organs. Not consuming enough essential amino acids will stunt growth, muscle growth particularly, literally eat away any muscle you currently have and potentially diminish your ability to burn fat, also giving you more of a skinny fat type look. And again, essential amino acids are responsible for energy production, so a deficiency could cause low stamina. Here's how you make sure you're getting enough essential amino acids to build lean fat burning muscle and stay active. Whole food proteins like steak, eggs, chicken, fish, whey protein, all great sources of all nine essential amino acids. But if you are really active or older, your body has an increased demand for those essential amino acids. And while whole food sources may provide you nine essential amino acids and other vitamins and the minerals you need, these foods may only have about 45% of the essential amino acids your body might need. Plus, they still need to be broken down and digested by your body, which, if you didn't know, is your age, your ability to digest and absorb essential amino acids diminishes. That's where essential amino acid supplements can come in. Both my wife and I have been supplementing with essential amino acids. They require hardly any digestion, and because they're free form, they're absorbed into your bloodstream and ready to be used by your body in minutes. The ones I use are by Keon. They're called Keon Amino Acids, the fundamental supplement for fitness. And for the research I've done, they seem to be the most premium essential amino acids out there. They've got all nine essential amino acids, but also the amount of each individual essential amino acids and Keon Aminos is chosen based on over 40 years of research. And this is all out in the open, by the way. The exact scientifically validated formula Keon uses is 100% transparent. So you know exactly what you're getting and you can match it up to the research if you want. They come in fruity, natural flavors like watermelon, mixed berry, mango, and cool lime. Just a scoop a day ensures you are getting all nine of the essential amino acids your body needs to naturally boost energy, build and maintain lean muscle, and hopefully get the body you want. you got to work out too. And something I forgot to mention, Keon Aminos is two to five times more efficient at stimulating muscle protein synthesis than whole food protein. That's why people supplement with the essential amino acids. So start paying attention to whether or not you're getting enough essential amino acids in your diet. And if you want good, high-quality, science-backed supplement to help you out, check out Keon Aminos, the fundamental supplement for fitness, at getkeon.com slash drdrew. That is G-E-T-K-I-O-N dot com slash D-R-D-R-E-W. As you go on, you know, speaking of the craziness of, of substance and whatnot, uh, you have to start looking at your relationships and sex and mm-hmm. love that goes feeds all in there. Did you do some of that work too? Or codependency? Yes. Codependency also, yeah. You know, I did it by making the mistakes that most people do in early sobriety. You know, I had a relationship at six months, Oops. which, you know, everyone <laughs> says don't do. I learned I didn't relapse, so great. And then I had a relationship literally at like one year and one day, which was just <laughs> ridiculous. It was I, the most I've ever self-sacrificed in a oh. relationship, you know, oh. like it was all of my old character defects just came oh. flooding to the top. Oh. Um but I didn't relapse and I got a chance to look at it. And then that led me to my husband, which oh. uh, who I'm almost about to celebrate a year married to right now. Oh, congratulations. So, Big deal. Good deal. All worked out. All but worked isn't, out it, but... isn't it crazy, though, how in this growth we call sobriety, whatever, um, 
you're attracted to and by so much better people, right? Your career starts to blossom in ways you just didn't anticipate. Oh, it just it's magical watching people go through this. Yes, it is an amazing thing. And, you know, I, I'm a unique case, not a unique case, but um, I hear a lot of people in the meetings that started using in their teens. I didn't start using until I was 24 years old. So there was a lot of life that I led on this earth as a sober-ish man. Not a, not a completely sober man, but a sober-ish man, you yeah. know, a, an occasional drinker, someone who wasn't um, as obsessed with drugs and alcohol as I became. Mm. Um, and so... When I got sober, I kind of remembered that part. Um, mm. And I hope people, because I know people are getting younger, are getting sober so much younger these days because mm. it's it's cool again. And because God. no one wants to see themselves on social media doing ridiculous, horrible <laughs> things and then never have a career for the rest of their lives because of that one frat party they went to. You know, so I, people are getting smarter, younger, which well, is great. When you said yeah. that, I actually had a, I, I, something came out of my mouth because I, I reacted to it. Oh, look at the doggy. Kind of yeah, my puppy went to say hi. He's a little toy poodle. He oh just wanted God, to so come cute. over and say hello. So Thank cute. you. That, put that on the promo, gentlemen. Uh, yes, please. And, and but I, I actually vocalized my, my, surprised when you said that people are, that it's cool again because I've been fighting the attack on, on 12 step and sobriety for, God, for the last like 15 years has been this yeah. burn against it. I'm so delighted to hear you're saying it's back where people understand the the potential benefit. And by the way, all of us who are concerned about the price of healthcare, here is an effective treatment that's evidence-based. There's a Cochrane yep. analysis that shows that, that it's as good or better than any professionally managed services, and it's free, and it's available yeah. on Zoom, and it's available all around the clock, and you can do it right now. Then you can just go in, don't even turn your camera on, and listen to what's being said in the rooms. But I do recommend going into the rooms if you possibly can. There's, there's, there's really that fellowship is so important. So important for me, yeah. So I, I didn't know we were going to talk about all this stuff today, but thank you for for being open and honest about that stuff and sharing because I I really believe that's you know it's a program of attraction and it's it's this, this I, I do bring them in and there's still a horrific stigma around it which I think we we you and I is, need to work there, together to dismantle dismantle is is the stigma against the using or the recovery I can't tell anymore. I, you know, I think it's just the term. I think people still associate alcoholism with moral weakness, no. um, still, which really? I think we just, we, yeah. I still do. Yeah. You know, even the whole thing with Ben Affleck, like at the Grammy Awards where he looked miserable and bored and then he came out and being like, well, it's so funny because it's the only time I've ever been sober. So like the fact uh, y'all are attacking me and I'm yeah. sober uh, is really just heartening to me. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, it's because people still like, I just I still think people need to understand it's a disease and it is not like a, a moral weakness. Yes, of course we do horribly morally weak things when we are in our disease. Yes, totally. Right. But the disease itself is something that um, is genetic is passed down. So try not to judge it as so much when you have a family member that's in it. That's what I'm hearing. A lot of people that, that have family members that just don't get it, that write people off. And you're like, listen, oh, bad. it's genetic, you know, yeah. like you, 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 this should be a warning to the rest of your family to be on the lookout for these things and to also just continually give love to that person because eventually there two things are going to happen. Either they're going to come to you for help or they're going to fucking die. Yeah. And either way, you need to be, you need to have been there and said, you know what? I tried. I tried every single time I was with the right person. I said, I love you. Is there anything I can do to help? That's it. And you are, Frank, you are so correct. And and I want to put a, even a finer point on it is that 
like you said, when people are in this thing, they do bad stuff. They turn into people that they are not They're Everything changes. They, they do things in the name of continuing using, which is all their brain is interested in. That is mm-hmm. sometimes awful and often typically really difficult to deal with. And when mm-hmm. you're a family member, people make it about themselves. In other words, mm-hmm. they get angry and they get put off. And, and even, even a, a subtler thing is they get scared and overwhelmed and they can't manage, they can't deal. And that's kind of okay. But if you're, if you're unable to deal and manage, you got to let the person know that that's about you, not about them. If you need yes. to pull out, you pull out with love always. Um, but yeah, don't stir things up. Don't make, cause if you, every time they come in and do something awful, you get angry about it. That, that's not going to help things. You can tell them, no. stop, but it's not about you and your feelings about it. That makes things worse. Yes. Look at that. that you're, I really, I'm yeah, he's a, I'm a little, he's only two. He's a little baby. Oh my God. He's a real dude. dog. I know he looks stuffed. No, yeah. we, we, this podcast, I want this podcast in the world. So I'm, I'm down. Sign me up. <laughs> all, right. all right we're gonna do we're gonna do a, a whole thing you and i about after reality and stigma yep. if I, by the way if i see any stigma speaking stuff out there i'm gonna i'm gonna call on you Please. So, because i i don't think it's weird the stigma i see because when people are in their disease they don't feel stigmatized they feel like they want to drink <laughs> they feel like they want to do drugs <laughs> they don't feel right you know what i mean they don't feel stigmatized. Yep. the family not at all right they feel stigmatized. the family feels stigmatized and then people feel stigmatized when they come out of it and so yes that's unfortunate and i think there are still people in the closet like celebrities and people who don't want to talk about their mm. addiction um publicly and i think the more that celebrities do come out about their addiction the, the better um, equipped the rest of the world will be when they're dealing with it in their families and in their lives. You know, and be like, oh, look, it, it's Frankie Grande was just talking about that. And we know yeah. him. We saw him on Big Brother. And look, he got yeah. through it. Like, that's great. 100%. So that's that's 100%. just the way I, th- I still think people are like almost almost like we're you know still in the we're in the closet. There's still a lot of celebrities in the closet about their addiction, and I don't think that that's a helpful place to be. I, I totally agree. I mean, everything you're saying, obviously, you're singing to the choir here, but but it, it is you know people go oh people shouldn't be you know the, because the members of the audience are uncomfortable with difficult material, they internalize that you shouldn't be talking about it. No. They must talk about it. It's it's a great life saving importance that now they talk about it, but they show their recovery, they show their disease. So you can understand all parts of it. So if you have it, it breaks through your denial. And if you have a family member with it, you can embrace it and understand it more thoroughly. So it's life saving importance that we do this. So anyway, enough of that. I want to talk about your, okay. your new movie. What's going on with that? Tell me about that. Well, before we change topics, there is a there's a sober character in the film, and a lot of, there is a beautiful moment around sobriety that I actually helped the directors write and craft uh, because wow. in the earlier versions it didn't it didn't work and didn't feel authentic to sobriety. They're not sober, the writer and director. So I was actually able to put Love in it. some uh, wonderful feedback, and they completely took it, and then they changed the script. And it, it, I think what happens is you get a beautiful representation of sobriety in the movie. Yeah. So um excited for you to see that. Um and it yeah it's a it's a gay comedy. You know, it's got a little bit of horror in it for anybody who like likes a little bit of that that tension, but mostly it's just a good fun LGBTQ plus uh led character written directed uh movie. Um but with themes that are universal, themes that are for everybody. You know, we've had a lot of straight people in the audiences and they are laughing just as hard as the gay people because I think it's a beautiful way for um the world to see that gay people interact just like straight people do. What? Like, what like you 
can see yourself. What a radical thing. What? What? I know. (laughs) What? What are you talking about? What do you mean? It's not completely different. So it's like, no, we might you, talk differently this. and look do you, differently. Do you get but... into the into the tea part at all? Do you get into any transgender folk and some of the issues they struggle with? Or yeah, um, and our, we have no transgender people in our film, mm-hmm. um, and so our our film is largely uh, dedicated to the relationship between uh, gay and straight. Um, oh, you know the G's, the G's and the A's, the yes, potentially. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, but we have oh, and maybe a B. We might we maybe have a B in there. Uh, but you know, I think that in this, in this time, obviously, you know, the transgender community is under such horrible attack. So, um, any, in my mind, the LGBTQ plus community can do a much better job of uniting under one banner and umbrella. Mm. Um, and so I think that this, uh, if this film is consumed as we hope it will be, it'll be a step forward for the entire, um, rainbow nation in my opinion. But, but what I like about what you're saying is the uniting is with LGBTQ plus with every with not with everybody that's the whole life, right if it the, the b and the a's and the whatever bring them all together get rid of them get everybody under the tent please yes exactly i think i you know my personal opinion is that a, an attack on the transgender community is an attack on the gay community is an attack on the lesbian community is an attack on the bisexual community because it's just what the right wing is doing is just looking for a new scapegoat and they will go down the line i mean they've done it year after year after year after year and it's a very very effective tactic that they use and right now it's the t's that are under attack um, but tomorrow could be the B's and tomorrow could be the G's. So we're all united. We have to be united front. So anything that is sort of celebrating any of us is celebrating all of us, in my opinion. Uh, I want to ask a completely off topic question. I noticed your fingernail polish. What, oh, what, yeah. yeah. And I have a question about it. What what color is that? Okay, like, so I call it black, black rainbow. It's actually black, but it has a uh, uh, rainbow holographic on the top so it has okay. pretty much every color of the rainbow so so interesting i, I caught the black part and, and i want to ask you something because maybe 15 years ago when adolescents between 25 and 15 years ago when adult and maybe even up to 10 years ago when when young adults and adolescent would paint their nails black it was always a really bad sign it was almost grunge always, it, well but it was but going dark purple no problem. Black almost always meant opiates. And so. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Do you see any, I, I think that's gone. I think that, that as, as every style, you know, it just becomes normative in some fashion. Is, is there anything like that going on now that I'm missing that you say, see in your recovering peers or anything? Um, I think, you know, I go to a lot of gay A meetings, so it's very, um, you know, super gay. So I think what I see are, are just people that are extremely expressive in all different forms. Uh, uh, I don't think I've ever noticed, like, you know, like the people that are drawn to opiates, like doing the black and, yeah. you know, um, kind of that, those things. I do have a, a very goth friend, a super goth friend, um, and she was into opiates. So I don't uh, know if that is, uh-huh. if that is a, a correlation, yeah, but yeah, um, it's funny because for me, yeah. This all this all started when I was in Rock of Ages because all of the, you know the men, all the straight men, to be honest, um, that were in that show, uh, painted their nails black. Oh. Uh, so I kind of hmm. yeah because they were all like you know in the band the Rock of Ages you know so nice. for me it's more it's more rock than it is goth. Uh, but, and that's when I got into it when I was in rock of ages, but you know, I usually was a pink guy. I didn't really do black on my nails until, uh, rock of ages. <laughs> got it. And, and it's just an interesting sidebar just caught my attention and you, you were on Broadway for a bit, right? 
Yes. That must yeah, so I was in Mamma Mia for yeah. for three years. Oh um, and then I clo- ended up closing Rock of Ages on Broadway. And then I just went back to go do Titanic, which was just nominated for a Lortel Award for Best Musical. Congratulations. Um, and I did that for eight months just last year. So, yeah, long time. According to the EPA, indoor air is polluted. According to a 2020 report, nearly half the population are living in areas with unhealthy levels. Nine out of ten people breathe air that exceeds World Health Organization pollution limits. I want to remind you again about the air purifier that captured the attention of many established media outlets. Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor uses an ultra HEPA filter that's been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested bacteria and viruses. Allergens can vary in size, but the average pollen size is about 25 microns. Air Doctor virtually removes 100% of particles as small as 0.003 microns. The Air Doctor 5000 purifier is powerful enough to circulate the air in a 1001 plus square foot room four times per hour. Air Doctor features whisper jet fans that are 30% quieter than the fans found in ordinary air purifiers. We run ours right by our television, and we are, don't even notice it. Of course, my wife and I have allergies, and we notice the difference when the Air Doctor is running. Air Doctor comes with a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com, use promo code DREW, and depending on the model, you received up to 40% off. You're saving up to 40% off. Lock this special offer in by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code DREW. What is that like doing seven shows a week or whatever it is or nine shows a week? It's got to be insane. It is insane. I think I think people assume that it's um, just so glamorous. It is the opposite of glamorous, you know, because that's it's still um, an art form that is hugely underpaid uh, compared to, you know, film and television, you know, like the minimums and film and TV are way higher Mm. than the minimums on Broadway. Um, and even and Broadway is the top of your game. I mean, there's no higher to go, and people are still struggling to make ends meet. Um, if you're in the ensemble of a Broadway show or and off Broadway is just shockingly low, to be honest. Um, so uh, it's not that glamorous. It is very difficult. Um, we injure ourselves a lot. Uh, we have to, you know, sometimes we're just super fried. But but again. It is our art, and when you get that applause at the end of the show, everything becomes worth it for those 45 seconds, and you forget everything that preceded it. You forget the preceding 24 hours, and then your body restarts, and then you wake up in the morning, and you're sore, and you're tired, and you don't want to go to work, and then you do go to work, and then you kill it, and then you get the applause, and you're like, I love my job, and then it rinse and repeat. But it's mental I, gymnastics. It really is. Yeah, it's like being an athlete or something. But I, I'm, I'm imagining. I just wonder what that is like. You know, having to keep, keep it up, so to speak. You know, so you are performing at the level you want to perform every night, and keep your attention such that you don't flub. You know, just, just go. It just becomes so automatic that you just sort of make stupid mistakes or something. You know yeah. I think it's it's um it's our training. I think the the more training you have, the better you you are at it. Um, and I think that the brilliance of live theater, which some actors are better at and not, I'm I'm in the better category. Is I love when things go wrong because mm-hmm. then you get to you get a chance to break form 
And the audience loves that, especially in the comedy. The That's audience true. goes nuts when you screw up. So um, it's like SNL. So I, I love those moments. Those moments yes. I'm not afraid of at all. I, I kind of look forward to them. <laughs> yes, I, I suppose about not panicking in those moments. That's for sure. Speaking of training, I, I discovered something about you that you had a biology training, which I had no I idea. did. What, what was going yes. on? There? And your dad was a physician. I didn't know that either. Correct. So yes. the biology was going or what was that all about? Yeah, my dad was a, a lung surgeon and still now practices as a smoking cessation doctor. Mm. Um, and so my whole life, like I spent um, all of my mandatory visitation time because they separated when I was two years old, my mom and dad, um, at in ERs and in emergency rooms and ICUs. Oh, wow. And oh, I became obsessed with it. I, I was printing out EKGs and running mm. around and checking in on patients and doing chart work when I was like eight um, and you know, something just kind of stuck, I guess people rebel against their parents. I didn't want to, I wanted to be like my dad. Yeah. Um, and so I, um, you know, I did a very strong commitment to biology. I got a five on the AP exam, a 780 wow. on the AP two, uh, wow. SAT twos. Yeah, no, I killed it, killed yeah. it in bio. Um, and then I ended up triple majoring in college and one of them was biology. So, and I did pre-med. So there was a world there's in the matrix where I went and I was a singing tap dancing doctor. So that, <laughs> and, and, and since we didn't get that, I think we should write the TV show and produce it and immediately do it. Um, because it is true. I, I could have been me. Could have been me. And when did you give up medicine? Was it towards the end of college or did something happen? It was literally, I gave myself a year out of college to be on Broadway. I uh, like, I took a, a sabbatical from going to medical school and I was on Broadway in a year. So that was it. I was like, well, I guess the fates have chosen and I shall be a Broadway performer. So, so it's interesting about you. So last time I saw you, you were, as you said, you were drinking and using, and I didn't pick up your, um, perfectionism workaholism that kind of stuff that <laughs> clearly part of you which is huge <laughs> which is interesting which is great i mean you've done you've accomplished so much as a result thankfully the, the substances didn't derail you completely yeah i think my earliest addiction was to achievements yeah yeah so yeah. it was a pluses it was showing my mom when i came home from school my grades telling her about my tests you know even when I was on Big Brother. You could see me just waiting for Julie Chen to say, Frankie, you are the winner of this week's head of household. <laughs> like, I, I didn't need to win those competitions that I won. People were like, why did you win so many comps that put a huge target on your back? And I was like, because I'm addicted to achievements. I'm addicted to positive reinforcement. So I wanted to win so that Julie would say nice things about me. Like, that's all. That's all it was. Very simple. And the, uh, applause. And the applause on Broadway. That's how. And the applause. I live for the applause. You know, it's the applause, same thing. Applause, applause. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> um, uh, do you ever fantasize going back and doing something more in the science realm? I'm, I'm going to, you know, well, don't answer me. I'm going to bet you hold a weird little fantasy about it still. I bet. I do. You're yeah. completely correct. Yeah. I absolutely do. And, you know, like even like when I was in rehab, I, I asked the, the head of the counselors and I was like, do you have a book on the science of addiction? Yeah. Uh, and they were like, what are you talking about? No, you're like, you have three days sober. Just, just sit down and listen. <laughs> and I was like, I promise you, I need a book on the science of addiction. And yeah. they gave me one and I loved it. It helped me so much to understand physiologically what was happening inside of my brain in order to understand my disease 
Yeah. So yeah, I still, you know, during COVID I volunteered um, at a vaccination clinic and I got to say like, are you allergic to any of the ingredients of the COVID-19 vaccine, such as peg or polysorbate, you know, like, so it'll, it'll pop up every once in a while. My biology degree will come in handy. Interesting. And, uh, right. I don't yeah, think it's done. I don't think so either. I think, but I don't be afraid way later in life to kind of go back if you want to or need to. I mean, it's, it's because we, we need people that I don't know. I don't know what it would look like, you know, later, you know, when you're 50 or 60 or something, you suddenly decide I need to do this. Um, but, but people can do stuff like that now, you know what I mean? And, and uh, you should, I think I always, you know, I always hate it when all parts of people's talents aren't used to, to their fullest. You know, and, and I can see yeah, that I, I see that part of you, but I also see your extreme success in in performing, and you have to kind of see that through. And that may be the whole thing. You know, you might that might take over, and that's it. Um, and that can, has to be okay, also. You know, that that's all right because uh, it's it's got to be a lot of fun, even though it's hard work. Uh, anything else coming up for you? Anything we should be on the lookout for? Where I haven't I haven't pushed out your social media stuff yet. Where do we find you? Oh, yeah. So it's at Frankie J. Grande on Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and what Snapchat and what else is there? Mm. All of them. TikTok. TikTok. That's the important one. Mm. Frankie J. Grande on TikTok. Um, and so you can find out what I'm up to right now. You know, I'm uh, uh, th- now that I've gotten through this push, uh, there's some more things that are on the horizon for us in, in me and us, meaning me. I'm referring to myself in the royal plural, apparently. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of film, TV and um, plays and and stage. So you'll be able to see me again uh, somewhere soon. So if you just check out all my socials, I can let you in on all that. And uh, I just got inducted into the GLAAD board. So I'm on the board of GLAAD, which is one of my uh-huh. favorite organizations. Good for you. And I'm thank you. I'm very grateful um, that I can be a part of that organization in an even bigger way now. So yeah. yeah, those are my uh, those are my updates. You got it all. Let's 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 talk about Glad for a second. And and by the way, are you guys still Glad has always been a great supporter of AIDS project here in Los Angeles. Is that still part of what you're doing? So it's an, I believe uh, so. That, that story I, is unbelievable. What what AIDS project was able to do really re- remarkable in the, in the history of medicine. There's never been anything quite like that. Ten years uh, and the success that ultimately uh, so much of that philanthropy brought. What can people do to be an ally to GLAD? Oh, you know, if you are in a place of power, if you're in a place of someone who can create content, you know, like 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 you, Dr. Drew, having me on the show is a, is a, is a first step. You know, if you're in a place where you can, uh, um, you're creating commercials, you're creating, you're writing TV shows, you are a place where you are in a marketing executive, Inc. make sure LGBTQ plus people are represented in your field. You know, if there is a commercial and it's going to be in the Super Bowl and there are eight people holding hands, have two of them be men or two of them being women, you know, whatever to represent the LGBTQ plus community. Because in my opinion, media is the strongest tool that we have in our arsenal in order to reach people who think that we don't deserve rights. If you believe that we are so crazy and so different that we should have our rights taken away from us while you retain yours, I think that if you see people like that in the media all the time, eventually you're going to be like, wait, why was I so afraid? Why was I so scared? Yeah. That everyone's everyone's just the same way like 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 i did on big brother you know continue to put fully realized rounded lgbtq plus characters in the the face of middle america and we can slowly rectify the problem 
You're, you're such a great ambassador. I feel like I want to dig in and try to make this conversation as difficult for me, particularly as possible. Okay. Right? Because, because here's, here's what I've been thinking about for the last couple of years. I, I've made a very careful effort to try to pay attention to my Eurocentric, white, male, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and um, Frederick Douglass, people that know this podcast know that I'm just, I'm a, idolize that guy and he's been very very important in the scales following from my eyes but you know i'm still the perspective i have and i've got to watch it mm-hmm. all the time the the from the standpoint of gay and trans community i mean i have so many gay friends and i love them dearly and yet i still feel like i have to i don't even know the full extent to which my biases come to bear and right here, and, and so let me try to dig in on a difficult level i feel like <laughs> that you you mentioned that there's hatred or, or whatever bias directed towards you and to me that's hard to believe it's actually hard for me to mm. believe it's like i can't believe that in this day you have to face that that's like kind of breaks my heart i kind of go into not denial about it is that my bias or or do we need to move to a more unifying kind of, hey, everybody, let's just get out of the tent. Stop it. Just stop it. You know, the people that are directing any kind of anything towards you, just stop. And and not really. Do you tell me, what's your perspective on it? Um, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think it's your bias not to, not to see it. I think that it is makes sense for you to not want to see it because I do think that it is ridiculous and it doesn't align with like normal human values and morals. But the fact that we still have, you know, religion, religions that, that outlaw homosexuality and that there are places in this world where it is punishable by imprisonment and death is well, just, it on. is slow, slow that because that, that sort of, I think, I think that made it a good place. Start. I think everybody looks at that and goes, "F that," you know, forget that. Right. Because I think that's a point that everyone goes, like, "No, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about." <laughs> I, th- right? I think so in me. maybe everybody in our lives, yeah. everybody that we talk to, everybody in the academic. Every, I mean, there, I don't think there's an academic in this world who who doesn't get this. You know what I'm saying? I just think that we are dealing with a large part of the country, which is still speaking about the United States, which is still so isolated from those academic people that are so like, I mean, you travel the country much. Do you get to see the people you get to see how people react or, you know, I did when I was younger. Um, now mostly I'm, st- I'm, I'm speaking to you right now from Florida. So, um, I do see a lot how people react and, you know, it's interesting because, um, when I go to places like a sporting game or something like that, I am blocked by straight people who want to take pictures with me and of love course. me of course. because of big brother, which well, is or, so, or whatever. Inter- so I mean, you're, interesting. You're, you're an interesting person. You're a brilliant person. You're a big talent. I mean, of course they want to be around you. So, uh, I mean, so me particularly, no, but I listened to the way other people have experienced uh, homophobia. And I mean, I was, don't know if I was gay bashed, but I was beaten in the streets of New York uh, in November. Uh, no, but that may, that, may be, that may just be New York. I've come close. Few times I know. And, and, I and know. by the way, they may, they, they may target you for whatever you represent. You know what I mean? That, we Correct. Don't know that uh, I represent yeah. them too, right? And, and so... But back to. But I do think it's academia. I think academia is a place where um, we do feel safe and seen because I think that 
once you achieve a certain level of higher education, like you're probably someone who understands that everyone is kind of the same on the inside, especially doctors. I feel like doctors kind of get this better than anyone else. Uh, I, but I, I, I don't I know. So. I hope so. But, but me too. There's a famous book. I didn't know you and I had this sort of common thing with medicine. The, the, uh, <laughs> the, yeah, right. The, there's a famous book from the 1950s about how to manage racism. That's what they were studying in this book. And the book was called Contact. And the and this has been reproduced over and over again, that the, the most significant um, antidote for bias, racism, anti-whatever, is a relationship, contact. Get to, Yeah. And so I, I just see that as the thing, which is why I keep talking about getting everybody under the tent. I just, I, I, I think people are tired and scared and they're, they're feeling kind of diminished. Like, you know what I mean? If, if they express something stupid, we attack them and they shouldn't express it, but they're also welcome back under the tent. You know what I mean? That's, and that I do feel very, I do have a very specific thing that I can talk about with that because, you know, for me, like I understood that I had a bias, like within, when I was being raised, the, the, the rainbow alphabet was not a rainbow alphabet. It was like the gays stick together, the lesbians stick together. So I, when all of, you know, as non-binary became something part of the main culture and as transgender started to become something um, that I was starting to see over and over again in my life, I had to go and seek out transgender people and ask difficult questions and have conversations around topics that I did not understand. And sometimes I sometimes I got like a a slap on the hand and other times I was just completely so lovingly explained the answer to. And that's the way I think we do need to go. But, but I I don't think we should be punishing people if they're ignorant. Like I think that we should be educating people who are ignorant and then if they contact them (laughs) and if they continue to be ignorant, then, then they go into becoming a bigot. Like that is when ignorance becomes bigotry. For sure. And and to, to be fair, I'm not sure social media is the place for the contact because people get off on their, their, whatever their negativity. So that we yeah. got to come up with some, some, all right, I'm calling upon Frankie Grande to solve this problem, right? It so, really <laughs> is. Like I wanted to you sit solve down it for us, my friend. So badly. Like, it was so funny because I was, I heard about, um, uh, you know, Olympian Adam Rippon getting a chance to sit down with Mike Pence and um, then he, and him not doing it. And mm-hmm. I just was like, because he didn't want to do it. He was like, I'm, Pence, you know, conversion Pence therapy, blah, blah, blah. Which Pence no, didn't no, do it? Adam Rippen, no, yeah, Adam Rippon didn't want to do it. Yeah. And I thought that was a mistake. Yeah, I would have been in that room in 14 seconds. Of course. I would have sat down with that man just so he has a face yeah. to understand. Like when he leaves, he wasn't, he's not going to be like that person should have right. been converted. That's right. He would be like, wow, that person is a 40-year-old man who yeah. I totally got along with. That's so crazy. Maybe we don't need conversion therapy. And so that's where in my mind, you are correct. It's contact. It's getting in front of these people, which who sometimes have walls and walls and walls and walls and miles and miles and miles. You'll never reach them because they're surrounded by people who don't want me to sit down with Mike Pence.
Last Days, a new podcast exploring the biggest icons in pop culture taken too soon and what led to their untimely deaths. It seemed like he was on the cusp of this sort of demise. The juxtaposition between that and the onstage persona that caught us all off guard. Conspiracy theories, shocking details, and untold heartbreak. Hosts Jason and Derek unpack the stories behind each star's demise. This was an unnecessarily ghastly presentation of gory details. There was a media blowback, cues the corner, basically clout chasing. Larger than life, bigger in death. Last Days, available wherever you get your podcasts. And it's interesting. I just piece of my bias just stepped in here. I didn't realize that. I mean, conversion therapy is so destructive. I didn't realize mm. it was still a thing. I <laughs> know. I didn't know either until he was talking about it on television yeah. when he was the vice president. I was like, "What is going on? Yeah. Isn't this real still? It's still real. Mm. It's crazy." It's crazy. Well, it's complicated, and the, and the transgender community is complicated too. I I, it, I I feel like that's a kind of a mixed bag, and people just just you know ultimately everyone's ultimately, complicated. Well, ultimately, it's my profession getting the management correct for the given patient. You know what I mean? That's what I keep saying. It's mm-hmm. like is like we don't we haven't figured that really out yet. But that's between us, the profession, and our patients, and nobody else's. So so much of COVID and transgender is people getting involved with what people do with their doctor. And that's none of your effing business. You know what I mean? Correct. That's that's the business of the of the the relationship and then those two people. And if you don't like what the doctor is doing, also none of your business. And it may not be right. And that's my business as a fellow physician. We want to get that right, but that's not the public's problem. That that is not. Well, here's the deal, my friend. Uh, it has been a privilege seeing you in your sobriety. I feel like I didn't really know you, and now I feel like I know you, and that's 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 the miracle of sobriety, right? Your whole self is yeah. And uh, you knew a very um, a very highly characterized and very um, I would say a shell of me. Mm. You know, like mm. I was walking around this earth and I was shining bright like a Frankie and I was, you know, <laughs> really in my thing. But inside yeah. I was I wasn't I was shrinked. I was this I, small. I, I was I'm this aware tiny. of it now. I'm aware of it now. And, and and shame on me that I really wasn't aware of it when I met you that last time. Um, oh, come on. It was 15 minutes. It's well, not, to be fair, I mean, I still a great doctor. <laughs> I usually pick up on that stuff, but but shame on me. I was uh, very good at it. No, I was a very, very, very good, very sneaky addict. When I came out as needing help, people were shocked. Yeah, that's which even true. people in my life yep. were shocked, and I was Off like, "You had no idea yep. that I was like this close to being dead." Wow, yep. cool. Okay, yeah, I'm I very good at you, <laughs> Frank, Frank. I'm trying to be as as disclosing as possible in relationship to the LGBTQ stuff. I'm going to bet you that I was fearful of confronting somebody from the gay community or something. Like it's somehow that you you. Maybe it frightened me to be direct and honest or something for fear of being seen as biased or whatever. And so if that was it, which I'm not sure it was, um, I wouldn't be that way today. Thank God. Um, but if it was, I apologize. So oh, no, I'm yeah. you're welcome. I never felt that I'm, I promise you I'm very good at what I did and hiding my addiction. So <laughs> I don't think as it was that. Are. But, as many and also, are. everyone that's out there that has these biases, I encourage you to please confront people in our community and mm-hmm. ask them the difficult questions. And anyone who is in the LGBTQ plus community who is listening to this, please be willing to have those difficult conversations. Do not allow your reactivity to shut down what could be a potential ally in the future. Please. And, you know, I get South Florida a fair bit. So uh, that air where you are in particular. So let's uh, 
and I'm usually with my wife. And let's you and your husband and my wife and I go have dinner sometime down there. I would love that. That'd be fun. Are you, are you living? Are you there permanently? Except when you're up in New York, is that? No, I'm just visiting my Nona, my 97 oh. year old Nona. Oh, She's doing so great, so cute. <laughs> Do you live in New York now? Um, I live in Los Angeles primarily, um, huh. and I work in New York on when I'm on Broadway. So you know, I'm all around. I'm all is Broadway, the Broadway coming up anytime soon. So it just finished, um, and there is a potential announcement about a transfer of the show. So I'm, I'm not, I, I don't want to say anything until it's in paper, but you'll see. Okay. And is that in New York or is that going to be somewhere else? It potentially, I can't tell you yet. Can't tell me where. If you, <laughs> I, the reason I'm, I'm drilling in is because in New York, we tend to do much more going out and socializing than we do in Los Angeles. So I want to catch you in New York if, if you're there. All right. Well, great. Well, when I am there, I will hit you up right. because I am uh, there often. All right. You can take my email after you get off of this thing and we'll, we'll see. Yay, please. Yeah, right, friend, thank, up. thank you for coming back. After You're the time. best. I want to do this again. All right. So you know. and congratulations on so much on, on the recovery, on your career, on the movie. Tell them where the movie is again and what it's called. Okay. So it's summoning Sylvia and it is available to screen, stream wherever you stream your movies, iTunes, Amazon, Google, anywhere, anywhere you stream your movies. You can always find it directly at summoningsylvia.com. There we go. Frankie Grande, everybody. We'll see you next time. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. What's streaming free all month long during Amplify AAPI Voices on Pluto TV? Watch shows like Kim's Convenience with Simu Liu and amazing movies like Meet the Patels and Jason Momoa in Braven. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of channels with thousands more movies and TV shows available on live and on demand. Download Pluto TV on all your favorite devices for free. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never.